Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best and what we do to be better under pressure. Because we'd been working all night, I would just be sleeping at random hours. So I was middle of the day and I went home after that meeting and I took a little nap and I couldn't get out of bed. I physically couldn't get out of bed to go back to the studio. I just thought, we're not going to make it. Like you you can just feel that pressure, like the inevitability that you're, you're not actually going to hit the goal that you're targeting. And I just wanted to just stay in bed and just, just give up. Today, I'm talking to Dewa Kang a Korean designer, architect, and artist based in London. In 2014, he founded Daewa Kang Design, a studio that creates beauty and timelessness in work ranging from urban design to architecture, from sculpture to interiors. The studio aims to improve well-being through design, and its ethos is summarized in its statement, beauty built with wisdom. In fact, I first met Daewa on the 12th floor of the Shard in London, where he created a work environment to measure the impact of natural materials and shapes on our emotional well-being and productivity. He used bamboo, brass, stone and plants to create a fully immersive workspace as well as interactive meditation and relaxation pods. I was inspired. His most high-profile projects include the regeneration of a Christopher Wren church, a concert hall in central London and the Fine Arts Museum in Saudi Arabia. In keeping with his philosophy, his charity, Climate Change, All Change, works in schools to engage children with climate change solutions through co-design. In our conversation, Dewa shares what it's like to lead a team when none of you know what you're doing, the importance of finding your positive sparks, and what made him get up rather than give up. Dewa, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast this morning. I'm very, very much looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, me too. It's so good to see you, Sarah. Let's get straight into the heart of it. And tell me, Dewa, how do you experience pressure? Let's start there. Well, I think uh, pressure is something that's pretty much always with me, I guess, ah. considering I'm running, a, I'm running a business. And so I hear it like a kind of ambient, it's like an ambient noise that's part of my, that's part of my everyday life. And sometimes it's so it's so quiet that I don't really hear it um, so much. Uh, I'm not conscious of it, um, but it's always sort of there. And then there are moments when suddenly it goes by like a you know, like a like a fire engine, and uh, then you know <laughs> suddenly it becomes the main focus of my attention. But it's definitely something that I've learned to live with, and I I think that there are definitely aspects of the pressure that are very positive on my life, and then there are some that really need to be managed as well. Yeah. I love this idea of an ambient noise. It's like a little sort of friend that sits around you all the time. Um, (laughs) Can you remember when you first noticed that ambient noise? I mean, I I love the fact that you've got this idea that sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good, but can you remember its evolution? Yeah, I think, I think definitely when I talk about it as something that's always there, I think a lot of, a lot of pressure for me comes with responsibility or commitment. So Obviously, when I was a child, I didn't really have very many responsibilities and I hadn't made very many commitments. And so when I talk about this ambient noise, I think I'm really thinking about the last eight years running a company and um, having always a kind of low level feeling that there's there's something that I've got to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm I'm staying on track with. Um, But I do think that uh, pressure is something that I, I start to learn from actually from my childhood in in small bits you know and mm. some of that would come from sport some of that would come from art and music um so i i do remember for instance um definitely playing competitive tennis when i was younger that you you start to feel that pressure the closer you get to a goal you know you're very relaxed when you're when you're kind of um you know at the starting point of a of a tournament and then each time as you go along, you think, okay, I'm actually getting, I'm getting closer and closer to winning this thing. And then you can actually feel you're getting closer to winning a match. And I think at that point, 
you can really feel uh, pressure uh, amping up. And mm -hmm. I think that's really good training for the future when you know when when you have a working life that mm. there's um that there are many different types of pressure that you that are more consequential somehow yes so I, I remember a lot of that from my childhood actually yeah and when you felt the pressure rise particularly in sport or art or music does that same sort of system in where in the way that you managed it then still kick in for you when the fire engine <laughs> of the pressure goes by I mean is it is it something you've consciously worked on or is it something you know, tell me more about how you've partnered with that ambience yeah I think I think for me handling the pressure is something that does happen in the moment but it's not something that I prepare for just at that moment I, I think there's a, fa a famous story about boxing where they say that champions are made in the gym not in the mm -hmm. ring mm -hmm. and so they say that you know, in those moments of performance or those moments of crisis you that's that's where all of your preparation essentially pays off and so for me handling pressure very much about feeling like i've done everything that i can to be prepared to have the skills that i need ahead of time mm -hmm. and a lot of this has been about taking taking on the right amount of pressure mm. that I know that I can handle based on the skills, based on where I am now and the skills that I have. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely something that I felt that our capacity to carry pressure can continue to increase as we become more and more ready for that. And we feel the desire for all of the, all of the benefits that we're get we're getting from actually taking on commitments and responsibilities that, lead to this kind of pressure yeah so so that's one thing that I think is 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 definitely characterized my my life yeah and I, I really love this point about desire because you know the more I talk to people about the pressure more I more I look into the idea of pressure it, it is this sense of sort of betterment and enlivening um the re that's what excites me about it is that relationship that pressure can allow you to feel more alive and I think desire is very much tied into that as well. When the fire engine comes, does the desire fade? You know, how do how do we hold on to the the energy of pressure to allow us to to become more alive and really honor the desire that's underneath it, rather than it tipping into it being debilit debilitating or making us smaller, I suppose, and making yeah. our commitment shrink. Yeah, Sarah, I think I think absolutely perceptive what you're saying. I think. We often talk in, um, I think in sport, we talk about it and also in creative disciplines about flow. And yes. when I think about the moments, I definitely find times when I'm in a flow, either with my creative output or even in, in leadership or managing people, managing a team towards a goal. And what I feel is that there is a, there is a sort of Goldilocks point with pressure where when you just feel that edge, you can feel that pressure coming on and you just know that you're you're prepared, you have the skills yeah. and you're just, it's like a performance that yeah. you're, you're just letting yourself really just enjoy a kind of virtuosity in handling this kind of pressure. There are many yeah. times when I feel that it, if often might be something has to be designed or sketched in a very short amount of time as an architect uh, yes. I often have these deadlines and I remember sometimes when the studio was very small we had very young um, assistants around and not not a lot of experienced staff and sometimes I would just say look um, let me just show you how I would, how I would approach this and I would kind of perform for the for the whole team so I, I would say okay like, now I'm sketching I would talk them through as I'm going and very, very rapidly, this you know, these designs would come to life. And I think there's something amazing about knowing that over years and years of practice that you've you've created these skills that you can actually yeah. employ on demand. And yes. I loved the energy of that and everybody coming together and seeing that. And now that the the, the team is much more experienced and has so many more of their own skills, then feeling that orchestrated as a whole team is is really incredible when 
we, we had recently uh, a competition that we decided to take on at the last moment. And everybody said, yeah, we're going to go for it. And you just saw all of these people coming together with these incredible skill sets, able to do something in just three or four days that nobody would believe could actually be achieved. And I think that when you hit that right moment of the combination of pressure, which leads to focus and leads to edge and, mm-hmm. um, and I think uh, ability and confidence, then I think you can, you can really feel very alive, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and also what, I mean, we first met when I, I saw this extraordinary room that you had designed, I think on the top of one of the offices in in the Shard and, and how, striking it was in terms of its its new um look and feel of how people could work in an office that was natural and sustainable and and use the sort of uh, natural rhythms of how humans work and i'm wondering you know i what part the desire the sort of almost the purpose in that description that you've just shared around your team or galvanizing and going towards something that seemed almost impossible in three to four days, but actually it became an, an, a sort of vibrant, it sounds like, team effort to to get the hit the deadline. What part do you think that purpose, that sense of what you as an architect want to do in the world, Dewa, actually plays in that ability to manage pressure? Yeah, I think I think as as I said, it comes back to that question of desire. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. think we have we have this uh, a slogan for the studio is beauty built with wisdom. That's what we're mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to do every day with our work, and the the expansion of that is that we just we believe that design can have a real profound and positive impact on the world, and so I think there's a strong sense of purpose in what we're doing. And there's also a big challenge. So there's a lot that there's a lot that we're trying to achieve that's just not very easy. So I think I think what it means is that the people who have gathered together in the studio as part of the team are all people who have a, a deep ambition in their hearts to do things that are challenging or new, as you said, um, that we're not just following the easiest path forward. And so that challenge becomes a kind of galvanizing point to say look if we do want to achieve something that's not just run of the mill we're Mm -hmm. going to have to work harder there are going to be more obstacles in our way and we put that kind of positive pressure on ourselves to say yeah this how can this be even better right and and i think that that's a a really healthy type of pressure that i think you can feel but as you say if you take it too far uh, it can become very debilitating. So you have to yeah. be you have to be very careful. Yeah. And how do you manage that in yourself, Doa, that balance between it being a positive pressure or a debilitating pressure? I think for me, Sarah, the, the most important thing is self-awareness. So uh, in a lot of ways, it's about really being able to hear the rhythm of your own body, of your own mind. I know mm-hmm. you talk a lot about that, Sarah, where you say, we have to be uh, scientists who are experimenting on our own brains constantly. Mm, mm. And and I think that it's very important to develop that level of self-awareness. I, I suppose in a way that a really high-performing athlete just knows exactly what's going on in their body all the time. And if, if they eat this food then they or they drink that thing, or if they sleep in a particular way, they can feel it on how it's affecting their performance. I think that if if we really want to be pushing ourselves to the edges of the amount of pressure that that is healthy for us, it's really important that we're able to identify that line yeah. about where, because I, I think, I think we can all handle more pressure than we think. That's yes, definitely true. And, and, you know, Eduardo, one of my, one of my team members, I I remember him saying to me, I can actually go, extremely far I can go really hard I can work like crazy but it comes at the expense of my motivation and I think Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting thing that we have a bank of energy we have a bank of willpower inside our bodies and tolerance for for difficulty and I think we just have to be constantly aware how much we're drawing down on that yeah and make those slight adjustments so 
for me, I suppose it's a little bit like just surfing an edge, you know, that that mm. I feel like I like to have that that feeling that I'm pushing myself all the time. So it means that I'm always looking for exactly the boundary between pushing myself a bit too hard and um and then just being too relaxed. Yeah. Somehow. I'm really intrigued with Eduardo's definition there around the impact of going so hard or performing so long that it impacts motivation. I mean, many people talk about it, you know, feeling exhausted and impacting their, their sense of fatigue. Mm. And I'm really interested in this sense of motivation. It makes so much sense that actually you have a refuel or, you know, or recovery moment from it in order to reboot your motivation. Let's talk about the practice of self-awareness. If I were to ask you now to check your current bank of energy, how much do you have? What have you done so far today that's meant you've drawn down on it? And what have you done today to top it up? How often do you even stop to check your energy bank? Dewar talks about surfing his edge and how he's learned to identify when he crosses the line from healthy pressure into unhealthy pressure. I love how he describes self-awareness as being able to hear the rhythm of your own body and your own mind. If we're not careful, we can inadvertently let the rhythm of doing more drown out our ability to pause and listen to ourselves. And part of becoming better under pressure is to become acutely aware of what makes a difference to our energy. Working out the key ingredients that impact our ability to be our best, particularly under pressure, requires experimentation and practice, a deliberate and ongoing self-inquiry. What are the first signs that tell you that you've crossed this line? Is it fatigue? Is it motivation? Is it lack of focus? When we're under pressure, we can lose sight of our ability to choose. When uncertainty or relentless challenge hits, our dog brain can take hold and we can react rather than choose. We all have the capacity to step away and observe ourselves. If you were to become more of a scientist on your own behavior, what would you pay more attention to? The more self-aware we become, the more adjustments we can make and we can increase our capacity to handle pressure. Under pressure, our ability to observe ourselves, to notice the impact that that pressure is having on us, and then to choose how we respond to it, allows us to be truly free. It's about active awareness, noticing the impact that pressure is having on us and actively choosing what to do. I'm curious, were around your journey on understanding your, yourself, your self-awareness. Can you, can you share what happens to you when you know that you are on the edge in an unhealthy way rather than on the edge into flow state? Mm. Yeah, I I can wow. definitely feel it because it's it's a feeling of of slow withdrawal. So you start sort of mentally starting to starting to run away from the mm. pain rather than leading into it. So mm. it's it's like that, it's that just that soft soreness that comes with you know, really exerting yourself is very healthy. But then I think there's a moment where you're sort of thinking, oh, ouch, you know, and then you start to try and avoid. And I think when you start leaning away rather than leaning in to the pressure, that's that's when I really know. You know, when I think about some of the most extreme pressures that I felt, I've definitely gone all the way to the limit before where I really felt like I actually couldn't get back in the ring. And and I could tell that this was really at the absolute limit of what somebody could handle. Yeah. And so and that's the moment where I where I thought, yeah, there, there is a, a kind of, you know, I think in the end, there is always a part of us that will, you know, that that you can feel that happening where you where you're 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 losing your your strength to to get back in there and keep, you know, keep battling on. Yeah, and I think that that's that's a really good indication when when you start fi finding yourself sort of escaping. Yeah. Yes, and, and so what do you do when you feel the desire to escape? Um, you have to, I think you have to treat yourself with a lot of uh, consideration, and it's uh, that's another thing I've learned. Like you, you have to be able to be compassionate to yourself to say, yeah, it's okay. Like you. 
everybody has a limit. You're actually pushing yourself incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. So um, give yourself time. It's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, this is a mm-hmm. there's a long life. There's a long career to be working at, and you really just realize that um, it it might be that you you've actually just bit off a little bit more than you can chew. And what I try to do is just give myself a little bit of physical rest, give myself a little bit of mental rest, and then also reframe again. Okay, remind myself what, why, why was I, why am I here in the first place? What, mm. what was my purpose? Mm. And then, um, and then just you know, ease back into it, and then um, re-engage. Yeah. Do you have um, a way of just reminding yourself of your purpose, Dewa? Yeah, I I definitely do. I think it's one of the big benefits about architecture being a collaborative profession. So every Monday morning we have a we have this thing since the lockdown. We've had this thing called the Monday meeting where where we just uh, sit down, everybody gathers together, and we give updates about all the things that are happening in the studio, every single project, um, every initiative that's going on. And I think that's a really good practice to make sure that at least once a week, you're really having a chance to look at all the amazing things that that we're mm. actually doing. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 gives a little bit of distance and perspective, I think, when when you're really in the trenches dealing with with difficult decisions or yeah, you know. yeah. So that's so helpful hearing what you do. You know, you give yourself some, I think you called it physical rest, some mental rest. You take yourself away. Do you have to be on your own to do you, to do that? Because I know you've got a family. I mean, ha- what does that mean, physical and mental rest, in the moment for you? Um, if I need to take a break from the actual tasks at work, then I, I, I will do that, just no matter what time of day or which day of the week it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think definitely spending spending time resetting you know what what you find is when you feel more and more pressure often you start to rush you start to cut corners and then suddenly you're adding to the pressure because you're yeah. you know you're not feeling as strong or healthy as, as you are so it's a, it's it's a vicious cycle yeah. so sitting down properly for 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 the meals with the, with the family makes a big difference and uh sometimes going out and really exercising a little bit harder you know so yeah. often i'll go for a i'll go for a run um uh often i'll feel i'll feel the pressure in my gut very much mm. when i start to feel the pressure and so i start to feel like i'm not i'm not um i'm not digesting my food as well i can feel a kind <laughs> of like you know like mm. a, a a sort of unsettledness in my in my torso and what yeah. i found is that if i go and i i run generally it sort of starts to circulate all my blood through my whole body it gets the blood out of my head and into other bits and i can actually feel my i can feel my gut actually sort of relax and Mm. just kind of um really even even just feel lighter in general and yes so that's been something that that's always really helped me a lot as well yeah yeah and when you see members of your team hitting the unhealthy pressure versus healthy pressure how do you spot that and what do you do as a owner of a growing business well i think i think it's definitely the most important thing for me is again awareness so when i was talking before about getting to know yourself then i think it is really about deeply getting to know your team Hmm. To the point where you can tell how they're feeling you can see you can really immediately sense when where they are if you ask me about how are every single member of my team feeling right now i could probably tell you exactly where they exactly where they are mm-hmm. and i think that's again because we have our every morning we mondays we have longer meetings but then every morning we have this thing called morning meeting and then we just check in very briefly, it might be five minutes or 10 minutes. And I think it's just those little connections where you really, your purpose is just to, to get a feeling for what's going on. And I think it's also about understanding how every team member is very different in terms of the way that they handle pressure, the way that they feel motivation. Yes. And so there are certain team members who might 
need to have a little bit more guidance because they're not they're the kind of people who don't feel they don't feel their own mental state as um as easily as they probably you know might like to so they you often find that um these kind of people can handle a lot of pressure and a lot of challenge and then all of a sudden it all blows up yeah whereas there are other yeah. people who actually can go much further than they think they can and uh, and be totally fine and so so with those team members you can also say yeah I, i'm you know let's 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 take it up a notch you know and i think you can definitely i think you can definitely do this and and give them the confidence to just push a little bit into the danger zone um so i think it is very much about that but we do have a lot of conversations about face to face time versus time over zoom mm -hmm. and i think that's another thing that i um that i really do believe in that sometimes time spent in the same room also makes a really big difference to the amount of information that you can get and mm -hmm. to really understand how people are how people are feeling yeah i suppose you can pick up the signs more readily can't you when they're close to you yeah no absolutely that's what i that's what i'm hearing um and i i want to go back to that idea of you showing in the early days sharing your skills mm. um I suppose a lot of this, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, that if I was listening to this thinking in an enterprise, in a massive organization, um, this, all of the things you're sharing, this intimacy, it feels very intimate. Mm. Um, as you get bigger, often, I think that it's hard to hold on to that intimacy, isn't it? Especially mm. as an owner of a business or a, or a CEO of a business. So this idea of you sharing or breaking down something um, together, I'm, I'm intrigued about that in a way and wondering how you do that as you grow yeah I think the answer for us so far has been to grow a little bit more slowly intentionally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because there's a lot of time and effort that we've put in to sort of embedding some of our our way and embedding our values into the whole team mm -hmm. and so I think that Overall, what I feel is that the more that we invest in sort of spending time properly, not just sharing what the decision has been, but what is the process behind decisions, um, kind of leaning into some of those short-term inefficiencies uh, for the sake of long-term alignment, I think is extremely important for us. Because in the end, all you can rely on is, is your people. And as, as you get more and more layers of people, I think then you have to rely on not yourself, but everybody around you to have the right the demeanor, the right process, the right way of thinking, the right set of values. And so I think what we've done in the studio is that we've really prioritized time set aside to invest in that now so that as we continue to grow in the future, that people will feel aligned, that everybody will, will kind of know what we stand for. And so mm -hmm. I think we put, we put the values number one. So every, every year, so I've been talking about every day, every week, but we have also every year, we have a meeting at the beginning of the year that we call navigate. And mm -hmm. uh, it, we, we set, we set, kind of our goals for the year and we reflect on how we've done in the previous year as every business does but what we do what we do at those meetings is that we always begin by with the same slides that talk about why we exist what's our purpose what are the values that underpin who we are in our work and who we are as people and how we relate to other people and i think as the years go by what we're finding is that the group really has that identity. And so uh, it, it becomes a very strong culture. And I, I, I hope that uh, the team, as they, as they have to manage larger and larger teams themselves, that they'll be able to, to spread that you know, in yeah. their own way. So I'm hearing those ingredients as being a foundation to actually managing the pressure that's going to come in with the ambition of the business, that you're laying some strong foundations within yeah. the culture of your team so that that, that high ambition of where you want to go and what you want to do in the world um, has something to sit very firmly on. Yes, definitely. 
yeah i think 100% that we're that that we're we're putting our work in in the gym right now that's yeah. what i say we are we are yeah. we are in the ring but we're yeah, yeah. but we're still spending a huge amount of our effort on the foundations and and on on our internal abilities rather than just on um on our outward kind of uh, show so yeah. yeah i think it's very important yeah and 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 Dewa, how do you really um use the future desire that you have in a way that keeps you growing and keeps you learning Mm. So if, if we take the principle of pressure being an enlivening force and a betterment force, if we can mm. keep it in healthy pressure and the close relationship it has with desire and ambition of what it is that you want to, my word, cause in the mm. world, how how do you keep that sort of stoked <laughs> <laughs> um, to, to keep you learning and to keep you growing? Yeah, I think it's 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 really for me, it's about um, it's about structuring life in a way that constantly gives you reminders about what you're trying to achieve it's um it's very much about having strong role models who can motivate you uh mm. to to keep pressing uh pressing yourself forward um i think if it's in terms of professional life definitely one of the things that's really good is that you that everybody has a different set of things that they're focusing on. So even if you're talking about your peers, um, you we might focus more on cultural buildings and public buildings, and um, and so we're we're making progress on that front. But we might have another uh, another peer who's a good friend who's focusing very much on Arthur, for instance. He's focusing very much on uh, innovation in fabrication, three D printing, and complex sort of robotic fabrications so on his side he's he's far ahead of mm. where where i am on many of those things whereas from from my side maybe we've made a lot more buildings and so i can look at him and i can say oh yeah i i i still need to push more on these material side and innovative side and then um and i can look at another friend who might be doing um you know, just a much bigger commercial business and think, okay, like there's still a long way for us to go commercially. Um, and I think you can always find, it's maybe the positive side of of, uh, of this kind of uh, Instagram culture in a way yeah. that you're always looking at the best side of all the different people around you. Um, and we just, just trying to rem remind yourself that you can, you can just keep, you can just keep up you know we always run faster in the race than we do in training and it's because we mm. see the people around us yeah and, yes. and we're going and i think it's i think it's the same with uh with professional life and i think with personal goals it's i think it is also the same i think it's about when you think about family or friends for me i think i think it really is about just for me surrounding myself with the people who are that I respect absolutely the most about how they've maintained those relationships, the kind of relationships that they have, the sort of life that they're leading, and then always kind of hold me to account to say, yeah, I could, yeah, I could, I could do that. I could, I could be a little bit more, I could be a little bit more focused on this. I could be more present um, with, with my boy or um, with my wife, you know, with my mm -hmm. parents. So mm -hmm. I think it's, it's all about finding those, those positive sparks around yeah, positive sparks. Yeah, I think I think as much as possible to to spend to find people who care about similar things, who have similar goals in life, um, who respond to the same things, and it, it, it's the the same when it comes to friendships, but it's also the same when it comes to clients and collaborators and work. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know that 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 you want to spend every every time that we we take on a new project or every time that we we start working with a new client then it opens up an entire new landscape of possibilities with those people so it's not just one it's not just one relationship that you take when you say yes you're you're saying yes to a whole trajectory yeah and so i think that it's i think that it is very important to choose wisely as much as you know as much as you can yeah and um and make sure that you're going you're going the way that you want to go yeah and you sound very clear about the way that you want to go. 
Uh, as much as possible, yes. You know, we I think I think beauty built with wisdom. I think it's a it's very concise. Um, I think we care about sustainability. We care about social responsibility uh, of of positive impact on people and planet. But we think that it, it's something that deserves to be done in a, in a beautiful way. And, and that's what we think we're able to do as really artistic designers. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's, I think, I think the devil is in the detail, I think is the mm -hmm. question. And that's where I feel often the most pressure when, when I can see that, that there are choices that have to be made that can, where there is no, there, there's no obvious, you know, better, better, path you like there's a positive and negative to both and then you you're sort of trying to balance which are the you know which are which are the right compromises to make or which are the right opportunities to take I think and when you're in that sort of um choice place Dewar, are you somebody that in order to manage that pressure you you need to think that through on your own or do you really value opening that up with others I think my wife would really appreciate if I would do more of that on my own. <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely somebody who who likes to consult, and I think right. I like to talk my way through difficult decisions and difficult challenges. And so, I think it's it's a real it's it's a real pleasure to have also a team around who are interested in yeah. that, and then also a lot of a lot of friends and mentors around. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think. It's interesting when you talk about pressure. It's a, it's a, it's it's from physics, right? It's the amount of force yeah. per unit yeah. area is pressure, and obviously, if you can spread the force around onto a larger area, um, it becomes less pressure. And I think that's probably, mm. I think that's probably something that's also very, very much the case with these very pressurized decisions. So, if you if you do have to take the decision completely on your own. I think I think you feel so much more pressure than if you have the confidence that you've actually you know, you you have an entire group of people who support your decision that you've consulted that people are have people have helped to help you to understand the different facets of the decision more. Mm -hmm. It's still it's still a lot of pressure if you have if you if you're the ultimate decision maker. I think. Yes, but it's very different from having from feeling like you know the whole the whole process has been only you as well. And so yes. I, I think that's something that's quite important. Yeah, you did mention earlier on a little bit about when pressure has been unhealthy. Mm. But is there a moment that comes to mind where you felt you have really been under the most pressure? Um. Yeah. Definitely. I, I tell that story uh, quite a lot. So um, <laughs> it was the moment when I found religion, <laughs> actually. Ah. Um, ah. Yeah, it was it was back in the days when I was working with Zaha Hadid, who was a very well-known architect at the time. And she was she was my teacher uh, in America um, just when I was finishing my studies. So I, I came here to work with her when I was in my late 20s. Okay. And um, and. I was I was a very inexperienced young architect, but I think she she was somebody who could take massive amounts of pressure more than anybody that I've that I've met so far. And she liked to take risks, and so she would take risks on people all the time. I remember I had been working for just a little over a year in the studio. I was I was an architect who had about two years of experience total. And one day she came to me and she said, "Daywam." Um, I want you to stop working on that project that you're working on with those guys. Uh, you need to start leading some projects on your own. Here's here's something for you to do. And she handed me this thick book, big A3 book. It was like 140 pages long. And that was the brief for the master plan of a brand new city center in Istanbul, Turkey. It was a competition that had to be completed in about four weeks for a population of about 120,000 people. Um, all the transportation and all the, the building designs and everything. And I said, oh, that's, that's really great. Zaha. Th thanks a lot. I, I, you know, um, let's, let's have a look. And then after I read this brief, I realized that it was, like, I'd had no experience doing urban design and I had never led a competition before in the studio. And I actually had never led a team 
before. And this was clearly a project that required a very large team. I I just went back a couple of days later and said, yeah, I've been looking at this. And I think, I think it could actually be quite helpful to have um, another person working with me so that I've got you know, a little bit more support. Said, so, oh yeah, no, there's nobody. Everybody's too busy. So yeah, just just go for it. Yeah, you know, like, uh, it's going to be fine. Day after day, then all these team members start appearing at my desk that I had never met before, and I realized that they were recent graduates from the local school in London who also had no working experience, and they also had no experience working in Zaha's office. I was trying to also manage people who had absolutely no idea what they were doing. And every day another one would come and suddenly I was surrounded by eight of these people. I went to her again, maybe a week had passed and I said, I think this is quite serious. We have only three weeks left to go. We have to plan an entire city because I'd been showing her sketches and she was like, yeah, these are really interesting sketches. And I said, but no, but it's not just about sketches. Like we have to actually design the city. And I said, I know you said there's nobody more experienced who can help me, but what about, what about my friend Tyne? He's just sitting over there. He's like clearly not busy at all. Maybe the two of us could do it together. No, I think you'll be fine. Like, what, what? Just, just keep going. It's, it's all good. And clearly, this was her way of just seeing how much pressure she could pile on and how much was I going to carry. And so, as we went along, you know, the weeks were going by, and we would show her conceptual sketches, and she said, "Oh, yeah, this is really interesting." And so, I, I knew that from a conceptual point of view, that the work that we were doing is really good. But we had no idea what we were doing. So, I thought that the way to get a good result in this kind of situation is just to work as many hours as possible. So we would work all night through without sleeping and then show her something. And then we'd get comments and then we'd work again for a few more hours and then we'd all collapse and sleep for a few days. So we were only sleeping every other day and um, and we were just completely worn out. And we had no idea what we were doing professionally about a week before the deadline, having just sent some physical model to be 3D printed and said, Okay, Zaha, yeah, so we're just, yeah, we just printed the model. She said, oh, yeah, just just remember the model has to be big because, you know, all of these other famous architects are going to come in with models that are 10, 15 meters long. And I said, Zaha, we didn't, we didn't know that. So I've made a model. It's just about a foot long. I made it small enough so I could carry it in a suitcase um, on, on the way to Istanbul. She said, what? And then sort of waved me off. And I was thinking, okay, this is this is not good. I also knew that the designs were still very conceptual because we had no ex- no technical experience what we were doing. And so finally the, the day came, we all flew to Istanbul. And as soon as I walked into the hall, I saw the other competitors really did have 50 foot long models and they had wow. all these real photorealistic cities on the wall, like you know, just, just meters and meters of, of drawings and, and, and renderings. And I really thought, oh my God, dear we're just completely screwed. You know, this is this is awful. And she was known to be a very volatile person as well. And so I was just there kind of finishing everything up. And um, and then she arrived in the morning. And it was the it was uh, the all the Turkish uh, national international press and international press was was there and they were interviewing people on TV. And she was screaming when she looked at I've never been so embarrassed in my entire life. And this is this is ridiculous. I thought, oh my God, this is just the absolute worst. And and they went in to present to the juries and I was sitting in the audience and I just remember thinking, oh my God, like I've just completely sabotaged our whole, you know, the whole office. I've let her down. I've let down all these people who've worked like crazy for, you know, the whole, you know, this entire month. And it was really, really low point, actually. I and um, I, I remember you know, going, going back to the hotel room and then just like collapsing. Yeah. Later I got this, um, later I got this call from her saying, you know what, we won the competition. Um, it was because our idea was the best, even if it was really poorly represented. And so, yeah, like good job, you know, and there was a kind of relief, but actually the, the, there was this moment in the process just before it was after we'd made that physical model. I went home because because we'd been working all night, I would just be sleeping at random hours. So I was middle of the day and I went home after that meeting and I took a little nap and I couldn't I couldn't get out of bed. I physically couldn't get out of bed to go back to the studio. I just thought, like, we're not going to make it like you, you can just feel you can just feel that pressure, like the inevitability that you're, you're not actually going to hit the goal that you're targeting. Mm. And um, and I just. 
wanted to just stay in bed and just just give up. My girlfriend at the time uh, was going to church, so I was mm-hmm. would go with her occasionally. And so I thought I found myself actually um, having this conversation with God, saying, mm-hmm. "You know what? Like this is like the worst situation I've you know I've experienced so far. If you get me out of this, I will you know I will um, aim to 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 do good work in the world that will be for you, you know, rather than just for my own personal gain." Mm. and um so i had this little this little quiet prayer time and i found that i managed to get just enough strength to sort of crawl to the finish line and, and get us to istanbul and then ultimately to make it through this process but you know it's it's not a really very extreme situation it's just a professional situation it's nothing like living through you know physical danger but i think it it was definitely a moment where i where I got to the physical and mental limit of what yeah. I could actually take to the point where I actually couldn't get up anymore yes. and keep fighting. And I think yes. that that's a really, that's a really useful place to inhabit and to see once in your life. But I think be yeah. very careful with it, I think. Yeah. Wow. Such um, a profound story, Dewa, and in it, so many little ingredients actually you know Mm. about how you lead someone how you have faith in someone but without like stretching them to a point where they can't get out of bed but what I what I really like is the fact that that becomes sort of like as you just said when you have an experience like that that's where you're never going to go again you know it gives you a sense of why these these habits that you were talking about earlier on become such a crucial part of keeping pressure into healthy pressure and serving a, a, in your case, serving a greater good in the world. So desire and self-awareness feel like they're yes. very, very strong protagonists in your ability to make sure that you stay in healthy pressure. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I, I do think that, I do think that 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 was very influential because I, I often reflect on, you know, if if that had all gone badly you know I, th- I think if, if we had yeah. lost this competition if there had been huge amounts of blame if there had been a really traumatic experience afterwards I do wonder whether that would have had really long-term effects on my on my confidence or on my career because mm-hmm. of the mental position you know the, the sort of place where I was mentally mm-hmm. and so I think that's probably tuned me in to understand a little bit better about how far I can push it before it does does become kind of existential, yeah. And um, and I I think it's important. And I, at the same time, I do think that it's also it also it's also a testament, as we say, that that you can go much further than you than you thought, mm-hmm. and and um, and we are capable of much more. Mm-hmm. But um, but you are drawing down on you know all kinds of physical, mental, and spiritual reserves. I think yeah. when you when you do that, yeah, yeah. I'm sure also you've learned an awful lot about how you lead others under pressure too, with that role model, you know, you know, what, what you, what you do as a leader to galvanize others, as opposed to putting them under this unhealthy pressure. I think so. Yeah. I I think there's, there's definitely a feeling that it's not, it's not necessary to add additional pressure to something where people already feel a great deal of, of motivation and, and, sort of positive forward energy so yes um so i think yeah it is it is very much about you know uh you know a a type of leadership that that lights the flame but then leaves a you know leaves enough air you know around people Mm. to to really sort of for them to kind of blaze their own way i think dewa's description of leadership is so beautiful that i feel the need to repeat it a type of leadership that lights the flame, but leaves enough air around it so people can do what they need to blaze in their own way. I love that. We've all had people or bosses in our life who've encouraged us to blaze in our own way or pushed us to achieve more than we thought we could. I had both a violin teacher and a dance teacher who did just that. They had such a strong influence on me that I knew relatively early on that I wanted to do the same, become a teacher, so I could encourage others in the same way. But in any role where you have influence over others' performance, it's a fine line, or as Dewa says, we have to surf the edge to work out what is the most useful amount of pressure to apply in order to get the best out of someone. 
One of the biggest lessons I learned as a teacher was realizing that what was positive pressure for one student was unhealthy pressure for another. The skill is judging when to apply it and how to apply it. Yes, we can always go much further than we thought in our ability to handle pressure. However, at what cost? How far can you push or encourage others to achieve more before the pressure on them becomes unhealthy? As he mentions, if they hadn't won that competition, the impact of that experience might have been very different. Remaining self-aware and connecting strongly to desire that's bigger than self-interest are key players in Daewa's ability to remain in healthy pressure. How do you light the flame in others? And what do you do to leave enough air around it so they can blaze in their own way? What a great segue into the final two questions, Dewa, about if you were to pass two things forward um, to anyone listening to this who would like to be better under pressure and turn it into an enlivening force, an energy that makes them come alive, what would you offer? I would definitely say invest in your own self-awareness. So whatever form that might take um, and whatever practice you might take on to do that, I I think that it's um, I think it's one of the most important things to to handle pressure is to to know yourself, mm. and the second is also um, to really uh, put in those hours uh, in your in your gym before you mm. put yourselves constantly in the ring because I think it's is really about I think preparation for me and um, and real confidence in like true ability that, you know, I, I can trust my abilities because of all the time that I've put in yeah. um, that helps me to handle that. And I think that's, to me, that's the, that's the magic recipe. Yeah. So agree. It's wonderful then because those skills kick in, don't they automatically because you've done your, mm. your drilling. <laughs> yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank absolutely. you so, so much, Dewa. It's been a, a fascinating conversation and your work is, is very inspiring. So it's lovely to have you on. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of what people do to manage pressure for better. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>